Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We're going to quickly start off with show notes today because we're very excited about who we've got on the show. So first and foremost, we have our Evening with Medium events coming up in 2019. They are April 26th, August 23rd, and December 13th. You can get tickets on sale at the website at buysarlo.com. We have gift certificates available at the website as well, and that is also where you can book appointments with Kelly and I by filling out a form, and then we shall return your email to you to set those up. We also have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. It airs at the beginning of every month, Monday through Friday, and they are mini shows that just really focus on giving you a toolkit for emotional intelligence and intuitive intelligence as well. Wonderful. So let's move right into the show today. Uh, We have Nina W. Brown back on the show. So good morning, Nina. Good morning, Kelly and Karen. We are so excited. Yes. Thank you so much for coming back. (laughs) We just recently aired Nina's first show. So if you haven't listened to that one, we highly recommend you go back and listen to it before today. It's episode 169 and it's called What It Means to Be Self-Absorbed. That is a great show, Nina, in explaining to people the difference between what you refer to as self-absorbed and narcissism. So can you quickly go over why you use the two terms for everyone? I go over, uh, I don't like to use the term narcissist, um, mainly because I'm a mental health professional. And for us, that is a diagnosis of a mental disorder. However, there's another perspective for looking at narcissism, and if you come from the self-psychology perspective, narcissism would be considered a normal stage in growth of development, whereby, yeah, whereby you are very narcissistic or self-absorbed. As a baby and child, you can understand that. They're the only ones that matter in the world. And then as you grow and develop along expected lines, uh, there is the hope and possibility that you will develop healthy adult narcissism. So I tend to equate narcissism in adults, and I'm only talking about adults, uh, as self-esteem and I like to use the term self-absorbed to differentiate it from the diagnosed um, disorder of the narcissistic personality disorder so that's why I use the different terms okay and you are the author of children of the self-absorbed and children of the aging self-absorbed and today's focus is on the aging self-absorbed parent and adult child versus EP 169 when you talk to us and listeners about children of the self-absorbed. Nina, is it common that children, the adult children, think that as their parents age that mom and dad or stepmom, stepdad, whatever it is, that they're going to get better, that they're going to mellow out? Oh, yes. We never seem to give up that yearning and longing for the parent to become different and to become 
more empathic and to become, um, let's say, less confrontive and less blaming and criticizing of us. And unfortunately, uh, that's not what happens. So I noticed at the very beginning of the book that you you address that right off the bat, so that the focus of the, the book and the focus of today's show is not in an attempt to say, geez, let's see if Nina Brown can help me force my parent to change so that I get what I want before they die. Your book is actually an acceptance of who they are, of who that parent is. And now as an adult child, how do I actually cope so that my experience is the best that it can be? Well, I think that's a very good way of putting it um, because you're not going to, you, we're not going to change the parent. It's very difficult to change another person, uh, in no matter what it is that you do. And unfortunately, with the aging, self-absorbed person, there's some very real life changes that also contribute to how they interact and relate with you and with others. And I think that those are the kinds of things that you also need to take into consideration. But mostly you will find yourself more at peace and feel more competent and capable of dealing with whatever comes up with the parent if you can give up the fantasy that the parent is going to change for any reason. If they do, that's wonderful. But actually what usually happens is that those traits that are and behaviors and attitudes that are most distressing for you now uh, tend to become worse and then that makes it even more difficult for you to deal with them because you're still yearning and longing for them to be the parent that you have always wanted. And now they may be in the position where they really need you to assume the parental role. So it's very difficult. Yeah, Nina, I want to go backwards for a second and kind of say thank you because I really like that you pointed out that we never really stop yearning for those things to happen, for our parents to change. And I think a lot of adult children can ask themselves, what's wrong with me that I keep thinking it might change or keep hoping that it will? And you're just pointing out that that's a human quality to desire those things. Yes, it is. And uh, when you find yourself doing that, just sort of give yourself a mental pat up against the head, okay, this isn't helping, yeah. uh, I'm still there, um, but don't blame yourself for being there, yeah. um, just just accept that, okay, this is where I'm coming from, it isn't helpful for me, and so I know I can do something different. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I found, Nina, is that if I wanted a certain thing in that relationship with a parent, and it, that need couldn't be met by my parent because they're self-absorbed, one of the things I learned to do was to go off and to have that need met by someone else instead who could nurture me in the way that I needed so that when I went back into the relationship with that parent, my need wasn't there. 
that's very good and and there are other ways to get your needs met uh, other than insisting that the parent meet them and so I think that that's a very good um, strategy is it, okay let me find some other way to get this need met I'll call it scratching the itch mm-hmm. <laughs> well we've called it too having many mothers or having many fathers people that can assume the role that we still need fulfilled throughout our life where we don't put a hundred percent responsibility on one person to fulfill those roles rather we can just appreciate what they can offer us and not fault them for what they can't mm-hmm. yeah so it really that works good thanks yeah it's <laughs> nice to have you validate that yeah and it just really takes away the anxiety then because you're not even approaching a family event with that need it's already soothed within you so I found that I was allowed to even look at my parent differently I was allowed to see when they were in their own anxiety and I actually got to see that in that self-absorbed state how high of a level of anxiety they were in which kind of then instigated in me more compassion instead of irritation Anytime you can substitute compassion for uh, for irritation, that's good. What you don't want to do, however, is to forget the negative piece because Mm -hmm. you're sorry for them. Oh, absolutely. I like that because that's a really like, let's call it a, a punch in the face. But you're just driving home the point that by not forgetting you keep yourself in check to stay following your coping mechanisms and your healthy boundaries. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Because once you let those down, that's when you get back into those distressing interactions mm-hmm. that leave you all turned up and the parent feeling fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's when we tell clients to pick your book back up. <laughs> read it again. It is, it is a book to read many 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 times so that you can see it from your like your perspective a healthier perspective for yourself and I found in the book too that what you do is you explain it from the perspective of the self-absorbed person and that is something that the that the adult children have a hard time seeing well how do you get into someone else's reality fully accurate Uh, no you can't Uh, that would be impossible to do but you can make some educated guesses as to what might be going on with them, why they are reacting as they are doing some of the things that they are. And sometimes you're absolutely correct, and sometimes you may be wrong, but mostly you'll be correct. Mm-hmm. And, wh- and what you've given is a guideline for people to start to be better observers. Yes, on, hopefully. On page Three. I'm going to try and reference different pages as we go through the show with you too, Nina, so people will be encouraged to know that when you're speaking, Nina, that they can go straight to the book to find the lists and the explanations that you give with the lists. So on, okay. on page three, you talk about assumptions about the adult child and what they're like. Can you go through that so that they can sit down as they're listening to the show and hear themselves in this? I'll try. Um, 
the assumptions I made in writing the book was that the reader would be an adult child, um, and I mean an adult who, as a child, had one or more self-absorbed parents. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there are many times you will feel ineffective, especially in interactions with your parents, but you may also feel ineffective in interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. As a child, you were given the responsibility for your parents' psychological and emotional well-being, and you were facing the probability of also having to assume the responsibility for your parents' physical well-being as they age. You also feel like you've never accomplished enough for your parent and that whatever you do doesn't seem to be good enough, uh, which they complain about, they blame, they criticize, and so on. And the other assumption is that you experience numerous difficult situations and interactions with your self-absorbed parent and that you really do want to try to find ways to minimize what the parent does and says and their attitudes uh, that negatively affect you. And if you have a family that you created, You want to protect your children or your spouses or your partners from the negative and distressing comments and so forth that your parent can make to them, about them, and in their presence. So those are some of the assumptions that uh, the material in the book is based on. Thank you. Yeah, that's a heavy weight. And to be able to articulate those assumptions to articulate what they must be thinking and feeling, even if it is subconscious, just provides so much clarity. I think for the some people that are listening to this, they might want to ask a partner or their their own children to listen to your show and go through that list with them. Because it is very difficult for some people to put what you just said into words And to be able to share it with the people that they love and say, this is me, this is how I'm hurting. And this is you guys too. So it can be a wonderful opener conversation. Yeah, I think too, for the people who are buried under all of that anxiety of what they're experiencing as the the adult child, it's great to be able to ask that partner or someone of a mature age to say, can you see something I don't? Yeah. To help them identify their own situation. Okay. So, Nina, the next thing that I noticed you did in your book was that you actually come up with an exercise for the adult child that you call, um, I think it's called distracting. And you wrote that at the very beginning. And I remember reading it thinking, why is she teaching me how to distract myself right off the bat? But as I read your entire book, I sure as shit found out why. And I was so happy you put that on page four. (laughs) Well, I know that even thinking about your self-absorbed parent and your relationship with that parent and some of the behaviors and attitudes of the parent can, can trigger some pretty negative feelings, and some of those are pretty intense. And that's 
why. I wanted to have something for the reader to let them know that, yes, these feelings might be triggered, but you don't have to go down that path. Mm-hmm. What you can do is to find a way to distract yourself from those intense feelings at the moment and then go back and think about it and work through the book another time. But we want to take care of what gets triggered for you. And, and of course, I can't be there uh, when this happens, and so I have to give you the tools. I found it was critical because, and, and, and particular to when Kelly and I are talking to clients about it, one of the things that I always say to people is, look, as you go through this and identify this in your family unit, you're going to hurt. But she teaches you right at the very beginning of the book on page four, what to do when you hurt. And so the distractive technique that you give was something that I willingly wanted to practice all the way through the process of healing. And I think that's really good for people to hear that you give a healing technique on page four. It might be helpful if you would tell them which one you chose and how that worked for you. Okay, you're going to laugh at some of them. Um, Okay, so I picked some of the examples that you gave in the book, Nina, and I want to share them with some of the listeners. Some of them worked for me, and I want to explain that. Some days, it just seemed that some of them came so quickly, I couldn't believe how fast. I enjoyed very much counting. I enjoyed the visualizations tremendously. Sometimes in the visualizations to distract myself, I picked people's faces that I loved, where I felt safe and secure. So if I had had a conversation with a friend who really engaged at looking at me and letting me know they supported me, my visualization was to see their face and to see their love for me. So that as my parent or the person around me who was self-absorbed might be triggering me, or I'd be going through the book and doing an exercise you had asked me to do, or you were describing something that was really hitting a painful moment or memory for me, that I could visualize that person's face and the compassion that I saw in their eyes. So I, I used a lot of the visualization things that you mentioned to help me because it, um, it helped me emote differently. So if I saw my friend's face with compassion, I noticed that my shoulders would drop immediately. I noticed that my breathing changed on a dime because I went right into feeling safe with that friend and feeling loved. So my breathing changed, my body posturing changed, um, the sweating stopped, my clammy fingers would stop. <laughs> um, I noticed when I had the anxiety moments in reading the books that my fingers would go cold. And as soon as I would start to see and visualize my friend's face, my fingers would go back to feeling just normal and at room temperature. It's how quickly it worked for me. That was a wonderful um descriptions of how the distraction was used and how it worked. 
And I think it could be encouraging for readers to think of their own distractions. I tried to get you started with some examples, but I think that once you find the ones that seem to fit you, those are the ones that are going to work the best. But And I think the what you are telling listeners is that once you get into a negative feeling, you don't have to stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to change it really quickly, Nina. Mm-hmm. It took me you just, did. yeah, it just took me seconds. And one of the things I did as well was I would picture myself raking leaves. I would picture myself with the fall colors because it's fall here in northern Ontario, Canada, and the colors are gorgeous. I would picture laying on a beach talking with Kelly and in front of Trout Lake with Parker playing in the water. I would picture particular activities that made the emotions come back to the one I felt at that time. So if at the beach with Kelly, I felt peaceful, or I felt relaxed, or I felt loved or safe, then I created that over and over again in my mind, petting Parker, so that the sensation that I would feel calmed me. What's it like when I pet Parker? Mm-hmm. I could get mm-hmm. that again in seconds. What you're explaining or what you're describing so that clients who are struggling with visualizations can understand is that you're appealing to the senses. Yes. Because even though you're picking very, what seems to be random kind of scenarios or random scenes, you're looking at all of the senses and how they soothed you. That's how I picked them. But if for people who don't know how to begin the visualization, go back to the five senses and ask yourself what makes you feel the way you want to feel. Yeah. So did I do a good job for you, Nina? You did an excellent (laughs) job. I'm writing it all down. (laughs) No, seriously, that that is an... um, that is a wonderful interpretation and application of how to distract. And in distracting yourself, you also discovered other ways that could be soothing and calming for you. So uh, you're encouraging people try something and not just stay admired in that negative feeling. Yeah, it, it helped me in other areas of my life too. So if somebody was bullying me and this has nothing to do with the self-absorbed parent but I was transferring it so someone was bullying me say in a business transaction I would go back to the same kind of visualization quickly so that my anxiety dissipated and I could go back to listening to the person again instead of feeling attacked so I just kept using your technique over in different situations oh great And the wonderful thing about visualization is that it's so quick. It's not like it takes a lot of thought. You can put yourself there very quickly, as you described. Mm-hmm. And the tools that you've provided to allow people to not, or pardon me, no longer fear the negative emotion that they're experiencing because they know now it doesn't have to last. And that's huge because yeah. a lot of people refuse to think about unpleasant things because these distress and emotions get triggered, they get caught up in them, and then they feel bad for a long time. And you don't have to Mm -hmm. once you know how to get yourself out of them. 
Yeah. And I think what it really is for people is feeling out of control. And as soon as you've given these tools and they know how to implement them in different situations, they're understanding the good kind of control that they can have over their own thoughts and their own life. Mm-hmm. Yes. On page six and seven, you started talking about and gave a list of the stages that we go through as we age. I'd like you to go through some of those or all of them if you have time, Nina, because when I read the stages of aging, this helped me fantastically because it gave me what is normal, healthy aging. And that allowed me then to look at my parent and know the difference between the normal, healthy and the self-absorbed. And it helped tremendously. Well, that's good because one of the things that we can all relate to is that we are going to age and it is a process and for some people that process of aging is even more difficult because of how they perceive themselves mm-hmm. and um, also I don't know about you but for me some of these crept up on me without my realizing that <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Go on. <laughs> that without my realizing that this is what was happening until all of a sudden, oh my, I was there. Yeah. But uh what you know, there are a lot of changes that take place and it, as I said, they're taking place over time and sometimes it um it's slow and sometimes it's fast, but we all have, for instance, there are physical changes that take place. Yeah, very nice. And, and how, yes? Sorry. And how do, how do we manage those physical changes? Uh, for example, it wouldn't be unusual for people to uh, start feeling increasingly constant aches and pains. And um, sometimes we just dismiss those. Sometimes we go to the doctor to see if there's some sort of condition, only to be told, well, hey, you are getting older. And yes, there are some sort of medications or maybe even exercises that you can take that will help the constant aches and pains. But your parent may not be aware of, of some of the more positive things that could be done to help them with their aches and pains. And when someone is in pain, they tend not to be able to think as clearly. They certainly are a lot more impatient. Um, they sometimes will say things that they really don't mean, which are really a reaction to their physical discomfort. They also may have decreased energy and vigor. If they are on medications, there are some side effects for those. Um, One that I think that affects many people and in different ways will be uh, the physical appearance and what this means to them. And this is for both males and females, so I'm not just talking about Hmm. females who want to stay looking young, but um, the way I understand it from what I read in 
in the uh, paper and in journals and see on TV, men are also increasingly concerned about how they look and are using some of the techniques that women have been using for a while to look, uh, let's say, younger than their actual age. Mm -hmm. So um, your parent, who may not have access to these things and may not even think about them, can also have a reaction to, I don't look as good as I used to. I don't look, I look old. And for some reason, looking old is kind of pejorative. And indeed, people treat you differently when you look old. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever been to a doctor's office, which drives me up the wall, is if they, the way they talk to people who are old yeah. or who look elderly, they talk to them like they're kindergarten children. Mm-hmm. And and can you think of what that does to your self-esteem for someone to talk to you as if you are a child or if you are deficient in some way? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they face these kinds of challenges. And we often don't think about the challenges that they, they are facing because of their self-absorbed behaviors and attitudes that have been negatively affecting us all through our lives. There's some cognitive changes that can take place. Um, I know, you know, people tell me all the time, I walk into a room and then I say, what did I come in this room for? Mm-hmm. And then they get really concerned about that and Evidently, what we're learning is that this is something normal in the process of aging so that that short-term memory is not as sharp as it used to be. When you get concerned is when this goes on for a long time and for just about everything, but it's alarming when it happens and you don't understand, and that may be what could be happening to your self-absorbed parent. They may always have had some difficulty in adjusting to new ideas or changes, but as they get older, it's even worse. Mm -hmm. They don't have the resiliency that they used to have. They can't transition from one thing to the other as easily. And just think of how the world is quickly changing today. And, um, I think my husband was complaining the other day because you can't get an instructional manual anymore for a car. <laughs> it's all online. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's been used to looking at instructional manuals. And so that's just an example of a change of how things are moving and People who are aging don't adjust to that as quickly, perhaps, as uh, younger people do. Some do, but many do not. And another big piece could be relational changes, because um, many people don't plan for retirement in terms of their relationships, 
And then all of a sudden they find that there's greater social isolation because they're not going to work and interacting with people. They don't have opportunities to meet new people. Uh, and so they they may have some activities that they can continue, but it's so different. And indeed, for many people, they are very isolated because they don't have friends and family in their geographical area, and they don't go, know how to go out and make new ones. Um, then there's death, um, and sometimes there's death of someone who's close, like a partner or a relative or a friend. And the grieving process can go on for a little bit longer than you would have imagined, but that's because the relationship probably has been longer than you have been alive. You, the adult child, has been alive. And so, you know, that takes a toll on them, too. And I know that I guess we could do a whole show, actually, on what happens when a self-absorbed parent is going through the loss of, say, a spouse, and now they have their adult children trying to deal with that because sometimes they are <laughs> going to make all of the grieving about meeting their needs and they don't meet their child's needs. I think the, if you're an adult child of a self-absorbed parent, your best bet is for you to expect that you are going to have to meet your needs. Mm-hmm. And in addition, you may have to assume some responsibility for some of your parents' needs. Um, it, that's hard. It's very difficult to accept, and it still is a part of the yearning and longing for your parent to be a parent. And now they've reached the age and stage where they couldn't be a parent if they wanted to. Mm. And they don't want to. They don't see any need to. They become more self-focused, not less. Right. Including in a grieving process. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that sometimes we dismiss the grieving process because we don't want to get caught up in their grief and in their negative feelings and pain. And it's not our pain, it's their pain. And so we tend to either dismiss it or discard it or minimize it and don't really realize the total impact it may be having on them. That's just not to say you need to do that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that you need to be aware that that may be what you're doing. You're not fully appreciating the depth of the, well, let's say anger that they may have at that person who dared to die. Mm -hmm. Is it also fair to say that you're not fully appreciating their lack of ability? Because you just said they couldn't be a parent even if they wanted to. So that indicates to me that the tools aren't there. And that's something that an adult child of a self-absorbed parent is failing to recognize or acknowledge. Acknowledge or even um, accept it. It's hard mm -hmm. to accept it. And you have to remind yourself 
and I like to use this phrase when I get extremely frustrated with someone. They're doing the best they can. It's not pretty. It's not good, and it certainly isn't what I want. But it's possible they can't do any better than this. That might be a great statement then to give that child permission to go off and to get what they need from other people instead of expecting to either help the parent or to wait for the parent to rise up someday. So perhaps what you're giving them right there is, hey, here's your permission to go find it someplace else. Have at it. Yes. (laughs) Do something positive for yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard to accept that's the best that they can do because it's pretty miserable. Yes. But you don't have to be miserable, too. That's right. That's right. Okay. Can you go into some of the emotional and the financial? Well, the the, um, emotional probably is not in their conscious awareness, but it's there, such as um, the disappointment that they may be experiencing on not realizing their dreams or when they reflect on missed opportunities. Um, Then there's also the increasing envy over others' accomplishments uh, that somebody did better than I did, and um, they really don't deserve all the good stuff that they're getting. I do. There's a fear of becoming irrelevant, minimized, ignored, or overlooked. And I think that's a real fear because all too often that's what happens when people start to age or they become old is that they're no longer relevant. Well, certainly in the Western world, but I think there are a lot of cultures and tribes that would definitely argue that where they really value the elders. Yeah, but guess which one we're living in. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. And we're not coached. We're not coached on how to age. We're not prepared no. for it. No, we're not. We're just told it's going to happen and that it's going to suck. Yep. Yep. Oh, no, they tell you these are your golden years. Oh, Jesus. You're right. <laughs> but then we don't know what that means. Right? Well, I'm still waiting for the gold to arrive. <laughs> So, you know, and when they talk about golden years, they show people uh, smiling and laughing and having fun and partying and going on trips. But then that brings me to the next piece about financial changes. Uh, Not everyone is going to be in a financial position to enjoy those kinds of perks in their um, old age. They're going to be more worried about, can I pay for my living expenses can, if I get sick and have to go to the hospital or an operation? Will there be enough money for that? Parents, even some of the self-absorbed parents, uh, do have concerns about being burdened on their children and So this is another, let's say, concern that they carry with them is that I don't want to be a burden on my child. And when you have financial concerns, um, you do worry about, okay, what what will I need to take away from my child just so I can live? And then that puts another burden on the child. 
Yeah, and, it sounds and, like the and, anger just gets displaced. Yes. And, you know, it's it's not a, a unrealized concern. I think with everything that happens with the economy, everything that happens with uh, inflation, everything that happens with the cost of just uh, everyday living expenses and needs, that financial worries and changes do get to be a major concern for the aging population. And so, yeah, um, this can be, and, and they may not say anything to you as the adult child. That doesn't mean that it's not in their uh, mind and they are not fearful of the consequences of not having enough money. Mm-hmm. So as, as you look at this whole list of things that they could be concerned about, this is all in addition to the behaviors and attitudes of their self-absorption. And you can see why, in many instances, this becomes worse. Mm-hmm. Thank you for going through that, Nina. Do you have time today to go through the um, behaviors of the self-absorbed parent? And you'd listed 13 of them. And if people are following along, they're on page 8, 9, and 10. Can we go through those, even if it's briefly, Nina? I'll do it. I'll try to go through it briefly. What's what's difficult is that... um, you know, you, you'd like to try to give examples, and yeah. so maybe I won't be able to give examples for each one of them, yeah, but that's... at least I can define it to sure. a certain extent. So one of the most troubling behaviors and attitudes is that of grandiosity, where the person has an inflated uh sense of self as being more superior, more capable, or more influential. This is seen also in uh, people who are very arrogant and contemptuous of others. So grandiosity is there, but then it can also be the flip side of the impoverished self. That's the deflated self, the poor me, uh, why does everything happen to me? Um, I never get a break. And the interesting thing about this is that the grandiosity and the impoverished self exist in the same person. And they will flip-flop uh, in a nanosecond. So yeah. let's say your parent uh, is putting on the poor me, and you point out all the positives that are in their lives, they immediately flip to the grandiose. Why are you telling me this stuff? I know all of this. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm the greatest. So, you know, that can be very confusing to the adult child. Then there's an entitlement attitude where the person uh, assumes that they should get preferential treatment that they shouldn't have to ask for what they want to need. Uh, people should just know and give it to them. And this is the one 
that I like to use um, to make people understand that, yeah, you may have some undeveloped narcissism, is that they (laughs) tend to assume that rules do not apply to them. And so um, my example for that one is do you always obey the speed limit? And most of the time the the answer I get is a grin, no. (laughs) So, um, you know, speed limits are suggestions. Are they rules, laws, shall mm-hmm. we say? Mm-hmm. Then there's attention-seeking behavior. Um, and attention-seeking <clears throat> behavior is not always the person who's the loudest or who tells jokes. It could also be the person who is sulking so as to get your attention. Then there's the person uh, or the uh, behavior that signals that the person is perhaps, looking for admiration. They want people to admire them as being, um, let's say, superior, as being better. Uh, So they seek flattery. They um, also look for other rewards and recognition. So they want to be admired, also might want to be unique and special. Um, you know, I'm different from everybody else, and that difference is a positive thing, and you ought to treat me as if I'm special because I am different. But the most noticeable characteristic for the self-absorbed is an inability to empathize. And they they have the words, but they don't have the feeling And if you were to examine interactions with you and other people, you would see that there's a noticeable lack of empathy. We don't expect that you would empathize with everyone all of the time, but you do expect adults to be able to empathize with some people some of the time. They can't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Exploiting others. Uh, includes manipulating others to do things that are not in their best interest. And con men or con women, um, as well as the self-absorbed, feel like they have a perfect right to get what it is that they want and to get others to do what they want them to do, whether or not that's a good thing for the other person. Mm-hmm. So you find that they will lie, cheat, distort, mislead, to get others to do what they want them to do. Shallow emotions, they have a restricted range of emotions, uh, primarily anger and fear. And if you notice, their expressions are generally uh, a form of either anger or fear. You don't see a whole lot of guilt and shame. You don't see a whole lot of other emotions that, you find most other people can experience and express. So there's a pretty shallow. Yeah, they may be, let's say, despondent for a while, uh, but not for very long. This is what enables them to move from relationship to relationship to relationship, uh, whereby they just seem to be able to discard what seemed at the time a pretty deep feeling about the person, but as you look at what they do, you find, no, it really wasn't all that deep. 
then that's an inappropriate sense of humor. That's a characteristic of people who have some undeveloped narcissism, and unfortunately, we see a lot of that in society whereby they tell or laugh at jokes that demean other people, um, calling people funny names that make fun of uh, characteristics, perhaps that they could not do anything about, uh, is an example of inappropriate humor. So anything that tends to demean or diminish another person or even be shaming for another person is what is considered inappropriate humor. Something you can't see and you can only discern by, um, let's say, contact with the person, interactions, would be the emptiness that's at the core of the person. They don't have a meaning and purpose in their life. They're kind of adrift. They feel alienated, isolated. They want meaningful connections, but they don't seem to be able to achieve that. Uh, I like to define it as someone who's had many failed relationships and who are unable to initiate and maintain enduring and satisfying relationships as indicators of some emptiness at the core of the person then we just have two, and I think we can make those two. Uh, extensions of self. Um, the self-absorbed person has not progressed in development of separation and individuation where they can see other people as separate and distinct from themselves. So they perceive other people as being a part of themselves and hence under their control. This is especially important for children and for the adult child uh, because one of the things that they will encounter is that the um, adult, the uh, parent, perceives the child as being an extension of him or herself. So the child is supposed to do what the, the parent tells them to, be what the parent wants them to be, and really... Um, let's say, give themselves over to the parent. That's what an extension of self would be like. And then envy is the last one, and this is really an unproductive um, feeling because it's a perception that others have things that they don't merit and that... Um, they are unworthy of whatever it is that they get or achieve. And so envy erodes your sense of self, that you are not as good as the person who's envied. So instead of going out and getting those things that you want, you sit around fretting that somebody else got it who didn't deserve it. And because you are more deserving, you should have. That's not doing you any good. So that kind of runs through the 13 uh, characteristics or behaviors and attitudes. That's fantastic. I hope people utilize the pause button throughout the podcast so that you can go through, rewind, and really listen to each one of those points. 
And Nina, would it be fair to say that the second last one that you mentioned, the extension of self, to me, that's just like the home run. That kind of helps me understand all of the other behaviors. It could be if you just, if you can really wrap your head around the idea that someone doesn't see you as separate and distinct from them. Now, all of this, it may not be conscious on that part. Mm -hmm. Remember that, too. So that a lot of what they do and say is because of this perception that you're not separate and distinct. You're part of them. Therefore, they ought to be in control of you. Mm -hmm. That understanding that reality that someone could be in helps me understand why the other behaviors are even possible. Because to a healthy person, those 13 things you listed are incredulous. Like, I just can't even believe it. Well, that's how how I have chosen to describe it. Some very nebulous and intangible things in terms of behaviors and attitudes. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Enough for people that are listening that want to find out the severity, you in in that book did write down a scoring system to help people go through that list and sort of grade it, I'll say numerically, so that they could understand if a parent was moderate or severe, right? Yes. Okay. So that follows through that list that Nina just listed for you. If you want to head into her book and purchase that, it would be wonderful because then people can identify and go through the rest of that book, working along with you, getting the tools to deal with each one of those things you just described. Well, I hope so, and I hope that it's helpful. Um, and, and, you know, if you have ideas, please let me know. Um you know, if I'm off target on something, I'd like to know that. But I, I think I'm really? pretty much on target. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. I can't believe that was a question that was posed. Nina, thank you so much for taking the time today and joining us long distance so that people could go into those two books and feel a really good connection with you. They've heard your voice now. When they go through the book, they can hear you talking to them. What we're trying to do is create a relationship directly with you as the author so that they can want to get in and do some of this work because the result is going to be that they have a better relationship within themselves and that they have a better relationship with that self-absorbed parent and with the rest of their family. So big thanks to you. And thank you very much for having me and for asking such good questions. Ooh, oh. that, that's a good compliment, Karen. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to prepare more so that people can understand and look forward to hearing you in the third show. So we will keep advertising that you're coming back and that we're going to keep working through your book with you. I appreciate everything you're doing. And thank you very much, Karen and Kelly. Oh, our pleasure. Mm -hmm. So to everyone listening today, this is part one of Children of the Aging Self-Absorbed. We will be back, thank God, for part two with Nina Brown at a future date, and we will keep you posted. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at bysarlo.com. Otherwise, have a gentle Saturday.